Hello, Northbridge. Uh, my name is John Hebrink, and I am an elder here, uh, responsible for our vision. Um, and I'm really excited excited to speak to you today. We call today Vision Sunday, um, and it's important as we round out the year. We think about, we reflect on the year, and we look forward to next year and what we're going to do. Um, and I can tell you, this year has definitely been an unusual one. I mean, if you think about it. If I had said in 2019 that next year you would have to readjust your priorities, your schedule, your lifestyle, you would have said, there's, there's no way I can do that right now. I just have so much going on. I mean, the amount of energy we've had to spend this year looking at our relationships and our way of life have drastically changed. I mean, we've had to realign what we're motivated by. Sports, I mean, the summer was a kind of a, a wash there. Um, our family gatherings, our jobs, our finances, they've all had huge shifts this year. If I said next year you're going to have to reevaluate how you spend your time, your money, and energy, and recommit them to a completely different set of priorities, you would have sent me packing. And yet, we've all had to make this shift. There's no way we could have predicted this year, and never before have we had such disruption to our way of living with so much uncertainty. As prayerful as we have been um, as elders, determining our focus for 2020 specifically, it's been a crazy year, and we definitely didn't see it coming. God did, though, because ultimately, he is in control. And I'm always amazed at how he works through every situation for his good and his glory. When I think about the work in the lives of the church that he's been doing in our lives, which you are all a part of, it brings me so much joy to see how much he has grown us through the Holy Spirit. It's been a difficult year. Between closures, quarantines, online learning, stimulus checks, and what has been the most interesting election of my lifetime, um, there have been many challenges we've had to face. It shouldn't surprise you, but if it does, you should know that the Bible talks about trials and uncertainty, and almost always it is paired with joy and peace. I want to take you to James 1, 2, which says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In the early church's struggles, James is reminding them the most growth, the most steadfastness comes through trials, and that in this troubling time, they should find their joy in a generous God. The church has a history of trials and growth through God's provision. In researching joy, which is what I'm going to be talking about today, um, I discovered Martin Luther went through a similar trial. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard of the bubonic plague, uh, and Martin Luther was alive during that time. He was asked a question and wrote a very long paper um, about, uh, the, the paper was titled, whether one may flee from a deadly plague. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you today. That's not why I'm here. Uh, but there were some helpful thoughts in the letter, and I want to share them with you because I think they're really relevant now. He said, I'll ask God mercifully to protect us. I will avoid places and people where I'm not needed in order to not become contaminated or maybe infect or pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If my neighbor needs me, however... I won't avoid place or person, but I will go freely as stated above, trusting God. 
See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. What an interesting balance. Martin Luther acknowledges how serious the plague is, but he trusts God when it comes to helping others. It's not one extreme or another, but rather discernment, knowing when to be prudent and when to act. When I look back over the last four years, there is no doubt in my mind that God has had his hand in our vision. You can hear it in the verbiage that what we call beyond the horizon vision. This is something we wrote four years ago. Life is a relentless storm of anxiety, distractions, depression, insecurities, and isolation. We're flooded by busyness and seeking ways to stop the erosion. The hope of the gospel offers a secure foundation which can never wash away. At least 70% of our community doesn't have that foundation. And by 2025, we have the vision that what was once an eroding landscape will be a rich soil filled with mature trees that provides a gospel-centered ecosystem for flourishing lives. We picture neighbors and friends who share their lives together, maybe six feet apart. They join for weekly meals together and intentionally speak about how the gospel shapes and changes their lives. We imagine families and homes transformed by parents who are living out the gospel, committed to discipling their children and seeing them grow in Christ. We envision Northbridgers who find specific ways to tangibly bless the community, grow spiritual successors, and daily saturate their community with the gospel. In this statement, you can hear the trials, anxiety, depression, isolation. Four years ago, there's no way we could have predicted what this year would be like. But you can also hear the hope a gospel foundation which cannot wash away, leading us to pour our lives into our neighbors, our families, and our community. It's this vision that has set our direction for the last four years, and it's going to continue to, set our, uh, to shape it for the years to come. When we look ahead, we realize that as a church, we do need to make a shift in our energy and our motivations, the way we use our resources. This year, it proved it's possible to make drastic changes in your lives, but we don't want it to be fueled by anxiety or fear or trying to run from a deadly plague. We want it to be motivated by joy and peace, knowing that God is calling us to something better. When you look at the Bible, it shows the people of God coming together to glorify and find their joy in him. In the Old Testament, we saw the people of God in community. It was a community of believers worshiping him. And in the New Testament, it's no different. It is, a, it is a new covenant for God's people to worship him. And that is what Northbridge is about. It's about community. Imagine being part of a community which has each other's back in such a difficult time. When they see your family struggling, they step in to help one another. Take time to help you in areas where you're weak and help encourage you to grow into the person that God made you to be. Families helping each other raise kids together providing examples for their children of what it means to be a godly son or daughter, talking about difficult issues and encouraging one another. Men, imagine coming alongside one another, challenging each other to love their wives, reading scripture together, and having their love of God's word fuel their motivation 
to serve others in need around the church and their communities. Imagine that. I mean, that's what we are. We are a community. Imagine wives who pray together, encouraging their children and husbands to grow in Christ. Teens who stand up for one another in school and act as an anchor for each other against a storm of peer pressure that can erode them. Imagine college students giving each other an outlet and encouragement when the rest of campus just wants you to party, having a common bond in Christ that fuels their love for one another and is visible to their classmates, showing them there is something better. And Northbridge, we want to take the church on this journey in 2021, and it starts in our small groups. Four years ago, we retooled our small groups to be focused on building mature believers who actively pursue a desire to know God better in his word, serving and growing with God's people, and telling others about Jesus Christ. We called it functional spiritual maturity. We invested in our leaders to learn how to study the Bible, listen and communicate, and teach that to other people. And if you're in a small group, you're regularly being invested in and cared for by your leaders in study, community, and prayer. But if you're not in a small group, you are missing out on one of the key ways that we sharpen one another. I encourage you to sign up for a small group even in January. It takes time and energy, but I can assure you that not only is it worth it, but if you have too much on your plate to spend time studying God's word with God's people, you probably have things on your schedule that God wouldn't have put there in the first place. As we look towards 2021, we want our lives to be fueled by joy that can only be found in God. We need to return to our first love, Jesus Christ, and find our joy there. I'll be talking about this in more detail at our upcoming members meeting, but to give you a sneak peek, our goal next year is to focus on cultivating what we call courageous joy. In one year, we want our small group attendees to regularly weekly cultivating joy in God that overflows in loving relationships and meets the needs of others. We call this courageous joy. Do you want joy in your life? You can only find it in Jesus. My mom used to have a way of praying. Um, my brother ran away from God when he hit college, and he struggled with his friendships and his finances and his purpose in his life. And he was talking with my mom, and uh, he was talking about just things that were going wrong in his life. And she said, do you want me to stop praying for you? And he was like, well, I mean, like, why do you say it like that? That doesn't make any sense. And she said, well, I've been praying to God that you don't find any joy or peace in this life unless you find it in Jesus. <laughs> I mean, what a way to pray. It's true, though. Lasting joy can only be found in God. And if there's anything else that motivates you, it will let you down. I guarantee it. Over the last few months as leaders, we've asked the question, what does it mean to cultivate joy? And it's not an easily answered question. Uh, when I was asked to preach a sermon on it, I was like, I have no idea where to start. Um, but today, I am going to try and paint a picture of what it looks like. We'll be talking about it over the next few months as well. And to do this, I would like you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 15. It's going to be the, the main text that I'm going to be talking on today and the basis of my sermon. To give you a little bit of a background, here we see the church in Macedonia amidst persecution and trial and their response to it. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 15. 
Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also the desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what you have, not according to what you do not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, and that there may be fairness, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, whoever gathered little had no lack. This was a great time of affliction for, the Christian, for Christians. Here uh, in Macedonia, they were met with ill treatment, which reduced them into deep poverty. Yet, they had an abundance of joy, leading them to be generous. They gave out of little, while trusting in God to provide for them. Acts tells us a lot about their affliction. They were imprisoned, publicly beaten, there were riots. It wasn't easy to be a Christian. When we look in Acts 16, it gives us a little bit of insight. Uh, it, here we see Paul and Silas, also in Macedonia. They were driving out the spirit of a woman who was possessed, but it allowed her to see the future. Um, her owners, she was a slave, uh, were making money off of this, and they were not happy that she lost this ability. Uh, and so they publicly dragged them into the middle of the city, tore off their clothes, beat them with rods, and imprisoned them. They were con these were the conditions that were in Macedonia. So driven into extreme poverty is, is, is pretty accurate. Um, but how did Paul, Paul and Silas respond? Well, they sang songs in prison. They sang songs. God provided an earthquake, and they could have escaped at that time. It, it, it damaged the prison, but they didn't. Why? It was for the hope of saving their jailer, who, with his whole family, became saved and was baptized. So how could they have so much joy? Paul and Silas singing in prison after being beaten? The Macedonians giving out of extreme poverty? Begging, begging to help in some way. I want to look at three aspects today. First, joy is found when we give ourselves to Jesus completely. Second, that joy leads to a hunger for obedience. And three, uh, joyful obedience results in a wealth of generosity that will change lives. So, first point, joy is found when we give ourselves to Jesus completely. In this passage, we see tremendous joy amidst trial in the case of the Macedonians. Why is this? 
Why do the Macedonians respond in such a way to be inspired to give so generously? Well, look at verse 5. We have our answer here. He says, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. Paul isn't just talking about a moment of conversion, like they found Jesus and now they're giving, giving so much. Um, he's talking about a commitment to Jesus Christ in everything. It's their first priority. There are several places in Scripture where we see commands to put God first in our lives. In Proverbs 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And then later it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. In Matthew 6, he says, But first, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In Exodus 20, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. Nothing. Matthew 22, Jesus asked, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the entire law and the prophets. John 15, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. All of these verses are pointing to one thing. Put God first. It's not easy. I have to stop myself from time to time. When I get overly into a game on my phone or a TV series on Netflix, I used to play a very popular video game online. It measured the amount of time that you played in days. Uh, when I reflect on the amount of time I spent, I don't want to tell you how many days it was. It's embarrassing. Uh, but I, I mean, yeah, I had fun at the time, but I mean, it didn't really bring me any joy. Like, I'm not looking back on that time like, oh man, I wish I could get back to that. We live in a world that is competing for your attention, your time, and your energy. YouTubers monetize your distractions. Politicians and media are served by arguing. Children's sports want to dominate your schedule with the promise that they will give your child joy and identity. But none of it is lasting. Our identity is only found in Jesus. Our time, our energy, and our money are best utilized when glorifying God. When we look and continue in verse 5, it indicates, and this, not as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The Macedonians understood this, and they gave themselves to the Lord first in everything, all of Christ in all of their life. Verse 7 mentions in faith, in speech, in knowledge, all earnestness, and in love. What's been first in your life this year? What's been on the top of your mind? For me, there have been times when I've been spending nights worrying about the hail damage on my roof and whether or not insurance would cover it, not being able to spend Thanksgiving with my brother, not being able to, um, or, or possibly losing my job. None of it has done me any good. But being able to talk about it with my friends in small group, they've helped me to refocus on God and his goodness 
And that has brought me peace because ultimately, he's the one in control. It's helped me to focus my energy in the right places on those sleepless nights. I can tell you, putting God first in your life and how you spend your time and your energy, it will lead to a hunger for obedience, which is my second point. Joy in God leads to that hunger. Thinking about this year, what have you been hungry for? What have you wanted to get back to that you didn't have? When we look at the Macedonians, they were hungry to serve. Starting in verse 3, it says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They had nothing, and they were begging. Listen to that verbiage. They were looking to support in any way, participate in any way they could, giving beyond their means. Why? If you look at verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, that by his poverty you might become rich. They saw that Christ had laid down his life for them and had given everything to help them. As they gave themselves to the Lord by getting to know him, spending time in the word and in prayer, they saw the magnitude of what Christ had done, which drove them to obedience. Think about the number of times God's been patient with you, pursued you, or protected you from yourself. I mean, looking back on my life, when I think about previous girlfriends that I've had, thinking they were the one, it's amazing to me that I am not a miserable wretch today. It's only by the grace of God that I met my wife, Megan, um, and that I'm married to her today. I'm so glad that God didn't let me have my way in high school or in college. Instead, he patiently waited for me, loved me, was generous with his time, his resources, so that I could return back to him. That's the love he had for me. When my father passed away and I was angry at God, he was patient with me. He provided money through the church and my dad's life insurance to take care of our family. He provided meals through my mom's prayer group, and when she had to go back to school, they took care of us. He provided male leaders through my soccer coach, who also went to our church, by the way, my piano teacher's husband, and my family to help me in one of the most difficult times in a, in a child's life to be without a father, middle school. I mean, that's a hard time. It was a community of believers that encouraged me back to him. And we are a community of believers. We should be encouraging one another by finding our joy in God first. Think about our vision. We picture neighbors and friends who share their lives together, join for weekly meals together, and intentionally speak about how the gospel changes and shapes their lives. We imagine families and homes, not individually, but together, that they're being transformed by parents who are living out the gospel, committed to discipling their children, and seeing them grow in Christ. We envision Northbridgers finding specific ways to tangibly bless our community, grow spiritual successors, and saturate the community with the good news of Jesus Christ. Does this sound familiar? It should. It is fueled by an amazing God who invested his time and energy to have a relationship with you so that that would last a lifetime. And as you get to know him more and more, wouldn't you want to serve a God like that? Wouldn't you give up any sport 
any promotion, early retirement, or a family gathering to further his kingdom? Think of it. In Romans 8, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's this sacrificial love that drives us to obedience, to give of our time and our energy, not out of duty or obligation, but from pure joy and gratitude for what he has done. I want you to reflect on this. Is your joy on Jesus or something that is temporary? How much energy do you spend chasing after a joy that won't last? If we first give ourselves to Jesus, this will result in joyful obedience. It's through these simple acts of obedience that will result in a wealth of generosity, my third point, that will change lives. In Macedonia, Christians were treated poorly, ostracized and driven to poverty. They refused to give in to the external pressures, though. They learned of the greatness of God through his word, which drove a hunger to serve him. And in their serving, we see the result in verse 2. It says, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. This generosity was an act of grace, fueled by a passion for glorifying God. And verse 10 shows us how their desire grew as they obeyed. It says, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. And the result was in verse 15. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. This was referencing both the Old Testament and their present situation. When God's people put him first and step out in obedience, God will provide the rest so that no one is lacking in anything. What do you lack in your life? Are you trying to provide it for yourself? Do you know that God is generous? Don't waste your time trying to be self-sufficient. Join with us, imperfect Christians at Northbridge, in a journey this year to find your joy in God. This type of selfless generosity will change your life, and it will change the lives of those that you care most about. Looking back to Paul and Silas in Macedonia, they endured prison and ignored an escape opportunity to save an entire family for Jesus. There are countless examples in the Bible of people putting their personal concerns aside for the glory of God, and it resulted in profound joy, celebration, and saving lives for the kingdom. Northbridge, you are part of an amazing story. Each of you have unique gifts, abilities, and flaws that make you perfectly suited to serve God and glorify him. This world will tell you that there are other things that need to come first. Your free time, your job, even your children. It will tell you you don't have time to pray or turn to God. And I want you to consider Martin Luther, who said, I have so much busyness to do today that I shall not be able to get through it with less than three hours of prayer. To apply this, I want you to consider three things. First, reprioritize your energy. 
Is God really first in your life? Look at how you spend your time and focus. I mean, if you take out sleep and other items uh, that are just basic maintenance, are you spending time with God in prayer, in his word, or with his people? We are a forgetful people. We need to be reminded. We are reminded of God's goodness through his word and through his community. The only way you can grow and have true joy is to know God and obey his commands. Second, realign your motivation. Why are you at Northbridge? What's fueling your obedience? Are you doing this out of duty? Because you have to? You think it might be good? Or is it out of joy and gratitude for what God did for you? If you find yourself in the mundane, or maybe you're overwhelmed by the pressures of daily life, I would ask you to stop and pause. Think about what God has done for you. Take time to read what he's done in the Bible. Reflect on how he's worked in your life or ask somebody else to see how God has worked in your life to remind you of what he's done. As you reflect, also take the time to find some small step of obedience and take it. Maybe, it's you're gonna, maybe you meet with a friend in prayer once a week or read the Bible with your children. God will bless that obedience and will grow you to desire even more than you could ever ask or imagine. Third, recommit your resources. Where are you, where are you investing your time? Think about it. What have you done this week? I haven't gone out and hung out with a bunch of friends. I mean, can't do that right now. So um, where are you investing your time? As you cultivate a desire to know God and serve him, you will find that there are times it's going to be difficult. There will be challenges that cause you to lose heart. Maybe you started something this year and a desire, uh, and had a desire to be in a small group or to start praying more. Now's the time to recommit. This is a season of celebration of our Savior's birth and celebrating a new year. Clear your calendar. Find ways to reinsert yourself into the kingdom of God and finish what you started. It's a lot of work to do this. And if you're going to do it, do it in community. We can help each other. All it takes is a step of faith. So I want to give you two things that you can do right now. One is with your heart. The other is with your feet. Jesus is the answer. He is the only source of joy. His plan is the community called church. If you don't have joy in your life, we're going to pursue that together next year. First, put Jesus back as first in your heart, in everything. Come with us on that journey together, and we'll help each other grow to have joy again in God. If you don't have Jesus in your life, I encourage you to give your heart to him today. We can help with that too. Second, here's what you can do with your feet. Join a small group. This is where we come together in community to tangibly encourage one another. I mean, sure, you can come to church on Sunday. It's a great way to hear great preaching, but we need more than that to grow. You cannot do it alone. Nowhere in scripture does it say that we should be self-sufficient. It is always in community. When we separate ourselves from God's people or join a church just to be isolated in a pew and not opening our hearts and our homes to one another, 
it'll only lead to an empty, eroding life. If you're not in a group now, or you are struggling to make it a priority, make the change today. We're starting back up in January. You've already changed so much this year. Why not make a change in your life that will lead to joy? Take a small step and join us on this journey as we rekindle our joy in God. Northbridge, we serve an amazing God, one who not only wants what's best for you, but he also knows what's best and is calling you to it. Don't be overwhelmed or tempted by the world. In our seemingly darkest times, God is there. He conquered sin and death to give you eternal life. He is life-changing, generous, almighty, and glorious, and will strengthen and keep you. Ask him for guidance. Step out in obedience and find your joy in him alone. This year, as we cultivate joy, I challenge you to step out in faith each week to build up your joy and maturity in the faith. Let's pray. God, you are an almighty God, and you care so much for us. I thank you so much for the love that you gave by sending your son to come and die for us. I thank you that you have worked through the hearts of your people to advance your kingdom, and that we can be part of that kingdom, heirs of your inheritance through Christ. Lord, I pray for the hearts of those here today and listening online. I pray that you would continue to strengthen us, encourage us, and seek out your truths in your word through your people. May you bless us as we go into, the, into 2021 with the confidence knowing that you are in control despite what the rest of the world would tell us.